I've started recording. Three, two, one. Welcome to Here Come the Sequels, a full spoiler podcast where we take a look at popular film franchises one movie at a time. I'm Tyler. And I'm, spoiler alert, a boy in the wall. Oh my god! I'm Alex. There are just there are just so few people who are going to get this reference. Go watch Red Letter Media. <laughs> you know, like like real content. Don't don't keep listening to us. <laughs> go I go mean, watch go watch the Masters at play. I don't know, you know if, what I'm saying. I'm not going to say we're real content. I don't know if Red Letter Media is also <laughs> real content. Um, oh, but yeah, Tyler. I'm I'm hearing some some high quality audio That's correct. coming my way. My 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 dulcet tones are coming through your eardrums uh via a nice new microphone that if I was like an actual podcaster I'd probably like explain to you what this microphone is, but I found it on Amazon and it it had good reviews, so it's probably good, I guess. And uh yeah. They should sound much better than they did last time. We'll we, we'll, we'll see how this plays out, but I'm excited. Uh, you're you're editing all this out if it ends up going horribly. Oh, long, that's correct. Right? Yes. <laughs> we're just not. We're gonna quit. We're gonna. That's gonna be it. No more. Done. What film series are we on? We are. Uh, we are reviewing Harry Potter and the Prisoner of the Philosopher's Stone. Oh, you you did a switcheroo. I, I don't like it. Uh, Harry Potter so and it. the Prisoner of the Return of the King. Oh, you you did it again. <laughs> Third time's the charm. Yep. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. That's correct. Directed by Alfonso Cuaron from 2004. That is what you said. You said it twice. I misheard you both times. It has a 91% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes and an 86% audience score. And both of those are the highest ones we have had so far in this series. Right. Now, Tyler... Both of us were were very interested in seeing how this one played out with regards to the previous two. Um, how how did how did it turn out for you? Pretty good. Um, <laughs> overall, yeah. Hey, hey! Spoiler alert! <laughs> I liked it too. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is a this is a big improvement. I I think most people would not argue with that. I still have some problems and we'll talk about it that uh, will we'll, obviously that's what we're talking about for the next hour here but ha- still not having watched the rest of them recently i don't think it's the best one interesting and you think the best is i guess i should not let you spoil that first. i i am still of the mind that that goblet of fire and deathly hallows part one are the best okay now i know that's a controversial opinion particularly deathly hallows mm-hmm. part one because everybody goes oh that's boring they're just in the woods for the whole movie I like that movie quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Of course, knowing us, I'm going to get to it. And be like, <laughs> You're going to oh, be like, this, this is trash. This terrible. You know what? Worst thing I ever. I do not know. I'm, I'm very excited to watch the next set because aside from really only the, the sixth movie and uh, Deathly Hallows Part 2, those are the two that I remember the most. I don't really know why. I guess because like once Part Two came out, that was all that was on TV or whatever. Like I, that always seemed to be what was on, as opposed to Part One. And so I remember Part Two pretty well. Um, and yeah, you, I'm just gonna go ahead and say it. 
I'm not a I, I I'm not the biggest fan of part of Deathly Hallows Part Two. I, I have a lot of problems with that movie, and I flat out hate uh, Half Blood. That parts. is, I was literally that's that's no, where I'm sitting. At. The, the point I was making with that was I was like, I don't remember the other the other three in that mix. I do know one thing: those two are not the best. So, <laughs> yeah. Um. So, at, at what point are you in your Harry Potter reading? Yeah. So I am for, now for the good folks at home. I am now uh, because I had the I had the wonderful idea. Oh, hey Tyler, I've I'm, I felt the need to reread the Harry Potter books, especially since we're reviewing the movies, and you know I'll kind of keep pace. We'll see what happens. So I'm like 200 pages into Goblet of Fire, and this is how and Tyler book, realized book, he has a problem. <laughs> yes, and to be to be fair, that book is like 700 pages. But Tyler, t- tell the good folks I am... how far you are, considering you started like a couple weeks. No, no, not more than a couple weeks, like a month after me. I started not quite three weeks ago, and I am currently about 200 pages into Order of the Phoenix, I think is where we're at now. That book might be too long. The, it, 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 we may have gone too far. We'll talk about all of this when we, get, when we actually get to those movies. But, uh, well, maybe that means we'll like Order of the Phoenix a lot be, more. could be. We'll, we'll have to see. Um, Anyways, I just know that, that, oh, I, I wanted to point out real quick that uh, at the point I am, and I'll probably mention this again in the Order of the Phoenix podcast, so there's really no reason for me to talk about it here, but I want to because I'm reading it. Uh, Order of the Phoenix, <laughs> I'm like almost 200 pages in. Um, it, it, Sorcerer's Stone, the book is, and this is, I'm reading like the hardcover version of Order of the Phoenix, and the book I had read in paperback, I don't know what the difference in the word size and all that stuff is. I don't really know the word count I'm at right now. Um, compared to Chamber Secret or Chamber Secrets, Sorcerer's Stone, I do want to say I'm like almost 200 pages in. 200 pages is, I think Sorcerer's Stone. The, the copy I have at least is like 220, something like that, uh-huh. something along yeah. those lines. I'm almost to that point. I, I'll, it's it's just about to the part where Harry gets to Hogwarts yeah. in Order of the Phoenix. It's a very long book. There's a lot. It's a lot at the beginning of this book. Um, yeah, I have a lot of opinions about four as well. I'll, I'll save those for when we actually get to four. But overall, overall, very good opinions. But uh, those books hold up. If you have not read those books in a while, if you read them maybe growing up, you read them as they came out, or I don't know, you just read them a while ago and you haven't really picked them up again, definitely go back and reread them. They, I mean, the, the I'm, I talked about this previously, but obviously her prose is not like literary god prose i guess it's it's no uh i don't know i don't even know what people what what literature people fancy people like to say is great literature these days um but her storytelling is amazing it's it's just so good the the way she structures things the way her characters it's it's really turned me just completely around on these movies i i didn't have strong opinions on these movies going in but just like it's almost maddening to read these, especially when you get into four um, and realize they tried to adapt all of these movies except for the last one in one book. Like, it was just never going to be as satisfying as it could be. Uh, so that so I'm already, that's already tinging a lot of my, like, feelings about these movies. Um, which is not to say that I don't like Prisoner of Azkaban quite a bit. Segway. Um, best and worst thing. My best thing about Prisoner of Azkaban... It's definitely the the visuals. Um, it's so refreshing to jump to this after the first two movies, because the uh-huh. first two movies we talk about the Chris Columbus. It's very flat. 
Um, I mean, there's there's a lot of the like actual design of the backgrounds and the sets and and you know a lot of a lot of the the coming to life of the the wizarding world of Harry Potter. A lot of that works really well, but it's not shot in a way that really complements it. This yeah. movie is incredible in so many ways when it comes to that. Like it's just so good at telling stories visually, um, bringing across themes visually. There's gorgeous, gorgeous, like just backgrounds and set pieces and and and. Uh, I, I mean, I'm not like a cinematographer expert, cinematography expert. I I couldn't get into. Yeah, we we to be fair, we've complained about it enough. We have, we have, but we we know enough to know when it's really bad and really good. I, I'll, yeah. I'll put it that way. And this is really, really good. It's it it just looks excellent. Um, what is it? The, it's, wasn't there something where some congressman or something he he was asked like. What do you identify as pornography? And he's like, "Well, I don't know, yeah. but I I know I know I know it when yes, I see exactly, it." Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, no, I agree. Uh, <laughs> I want to stop for a second and talk about Alfonso Cuarón. This guy, oh my I god, I don't understand this guy. Guy weirds me out. How? Here's his. Here's his. Here, yeah. Here is his filmography. All right. All right. Okay. Made a couple of shorts. In, in the uh, early 80s uh, did some TV in the early 80s a lot of it was um, I don't know how much of it I mean I, obviously I don't like very little about this early work of his uh, but all that up through he made a movie uh, in 1991 all of it is or a lot of it seems to have been in Spanish language Should, you know, I don't know where it was released or, or kind of how all that works um, did a little bit more TV then in 1995, he made a movie called A Little Princess, which is a remake of a Shirley Temple movie. Okay, okay, so that's where we're starting. Okay. 1998, right. he made an adaptation of Great Expectations. Uh, 2001, he made a movie called Itu Mama Tambien. Um, I'm not sure... Again, not really sure if that was released in the States or kind of how... Or made in the States, or I, I would assume maybe it's Mexican language or... Mexican language. Mexican produced Spanish language, obviously. Yeah. I don't really know. Um, so all that's kind of like, okay, he's got this this little jumble of, of, of different we stuff. We speak American here. I, I believe that movie is rated like R2. Like, I think it's, I think the description for it is like two, two teenagers go on a road trip with an older woman and it's like a coming of age tale about like maturity and sex and stuff, which is an interesting thing. 2004, he made Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Yep. Um, did like part of a, a I guess uh, he did a segment of a movie. Um, looks like a French movie, maybe. I'm I'm literally just reading this on IMDb, so I don't really know about like the the foreign language films that he's done. Um, 2006, he made Children of Men, which is like mm-hmm. this one of the most beloved cult cl- like the people who have. I mean, really, just the people who have seen this movie or that movie love that movie, and I have. Seen, it's a really good movie. I I haven't seen it in a while. Um, but from what I remember, I have not. Cool. I have not seen this. I would definitely recommend it. From what I remember, and everyone like loves this movie. When they like people, it's it's a quote unquote underrated gem of of yeah. our time. Like like people are obsessed with that. 2013, he made Gravity. Sandra Bullock and George Clooney. Yep. What pretty is- much like the most mainstream <laughs> thing you could do. But also like it's a one take. Isn't isn't that one take? the entire thing is or no it's it, no not one it's, take it's not, but like it's one shot right like it's mm, no really 
I, I don't is, think it's it all. Just, is it just long shots? Is that what? It, is that what I'm? I, there's there's like very long minutes. takes, but I don't okay. I don't think it's all meant to be. Either one. way, <laughs> he's got a new movie coming out this year, apparently called Roma. Um, who is this man? <laughs> what is what is what is all of that that I just said? I'm very confused. I want to know more. I would like to get to know this man. Um, as much as I don't think this is the best of the Harry Potter movies, I wish he had directed more. Oh yeah. I have some um, problems. It, most most of my problems with this rely on 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 the script. Yeah, yeah. But I would argue okay, that a lot of to, what he adds to the movie with his directing is the some of the best parts of the movie. Okay, the shrunken head in in, in the <laughs> uh, the night bus mm-hmm. that has to be him, right? I would I would think so. Yeah. There's no way Steve Clovis wrote that <laughs> into the script. Yeah. And it worked, considering it's the previous it's, two films, that it's, has to be all Quaron. And there's so much of that where the, the, he, the way he frames shots and the way he adds, like he adds a lot of stuff to this that was not set up in the book that works really, really, really well. It's it again yeah. goes back to the fact of the last two movies were very much just take the book, put it on the screen, cut out the stuff that we don't have time for. This yeah. movie is like. I don't really understand how this movie works as well as it does because it really cuts through the heart of the story. There, there are some things that are left out that I feel were missteps, but a lot of stuff at, at the end of the second half, at half second act, going into the third act, are just like completely changed, right? And um, but they do embellish stuff. Like I, I, I did not remember that. The thing like Hermione throws the the rocks into Hagrid's yep. hut to try yep. and warn them. That's not in the book. Mm-hmm. There's extra little embellishments to be like, oh, time loop, causality. We're doing a Terminator thing. Yep. I like it a lot. Yep. Um. There's that's what you do. You take the premise and you add on to it. My that's how an adaptation should work. My favorite thing about this is not my favorite thing, but like my one one of my favorite examples of this is that. The movie constantly cuts to the Whomping Willow. Different seasons shows a bird. There's there's a great thing of a bird flying through kind of like the Hogwarts grounds, and then it gets and it, int- it introduces us to some of the new Hogwarts locations that we haven't yeah. seen before. Yeah, and and we we keep coming back to the Willow. There's there's a great little bit where like uh, we we get a little shot of like a single leaf falling to the ground, and then all the leaves fall off at once. Um, yeah. there's a funny little thing, and then like the shaking snow off, and like. It, it's a, it's such a central little thing to the movie. It does kind of tie into some problems I have that we'll get to um, as far as, like, what was cut. But overall, like, I, it, it just, it, it's such a nice breather between scenes, for one. It, it shows yeah. the passage of time, which is a huge thing in the books that I think gets really lost in the first two and I think has a lot to do with my pacing issues where it's just kind of like, oh, scene, 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 scene. Keep going. Yeah. This one, it, it is not a scared at all to sit back and be like, ah, we're going to have a visual here. We're going right. to do something else. We're going to, there's a, I, I, I've forgotten some of the moments, but I know there's a lot of great little humor moments, like in between classes where there's, there's students doing silly things or like, I feel like there's one in particular that I'm missing where like a student does something in the hallway. We get a ton of ghosts floating around. We get a ton of ghosts like walking through people and, and just kind of popping up and, and floating around. They look great, and and it's it's it adds to the atmosphere quite a bit. Um, I don't know. There, he does so much. He tells so much of the story with what he's shooting and and the scenes he set up, and it I love yeah. it. Well, even just a clear cut example, the quitted scene. Mm-hmm. Compare the quitted scene in this, <laughs> and I know there's there's fog and it's storming, it's different, and, but but like compare it 
just in terms of special effects, compare it to the first two. Mm-hmm. It feels like a completely different world in the best possible way. Mm-hmm. Really interesting transition of um, book to movie. Uh, in the book, in that Quidditch scene, he actually sees Sirius as a dog in the Quidditch stance. Sirius came to see him play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, in the movie, he gets caught up in the clouds and he sees a cloud that looks like the Grim that he saw in the the teapot. Yeah. I I mean, I, I think there's... You can argue one way or another kind of the difference between uh, the book and the movie and the fact that, like, Sirius isn't actually there or, like, he doesn't see him. and that it, it changes some things about the narrative, but that's just such a better visual cue, such a more interesting thing to look at. It, it's a lot more impressive. Uh, it kind of adds to the darker tone of this and the fact that there does seem to be kind of a weird um, prophetic undercurrent. I mean, it's all it's a movie kind of about fate and about not being able to... Like, like trying to change the past, literally. Um, Something wicked this way yes. comes. That scene, that's another great... Where did that come from? It's excellent. That was, the ta- that was the tagline of the movie. Yeah. Like, that was on the yeah. posters and stuff. The, just this, the, this chorus of kids holding toads, singing yeah. this really creepy, oddball, uh, catchy song. Um, that's such a... It Hogwarts. almost belongs in, like, a Tim Burton movie or something. In a good way. Like, it's, it's such... But in a good way, yeah. It's such a Hogwarts thing. Like, it, it's like, oh, that makes... Like... It's just... There's there's so much life in this movie that he adds with things like that. The the bit at the beginning. Here's another one. Um, And I... Because I'm, I'm lifting, listing off things that I really don't think were in the screenplay. I could be wrong about that. Um, But, like, the thing at the beginning where... Harry's under the under the covers. He's he's let the wand. He's he's trying to study at under you know the the dark of night or whatever. Yeah. And Uncle Vernon keeps storming in, looking around, seeing if he's asleep, and walking back out. He does that like three times. It's a great little yeah. gag. And it's it, it it immediately we don't need to like get every single scene from Privet Drive from Prisoner of Azkaban into the movie. It's just like, oh, here's a great bit where yeah. we we immediately establish this establish the relationship. We establish that that you know Harry's obviously in hiding and he's he's kind of cut off from the rest of the world it's it's just a nice little thing and of course the visual with the wand in the darkness it's it's great it just yeah. it's it's really well done what's your worst thing mm. i don't want to immediately go to there's things from the books they left out and the books are always better um but that might be what i have to go to uh and it, it, there's maybe some stuff that I did not catch necessarily that like some things that were actually explained and I just missed it but yeah. I believe they never really explain Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs and the origin of the Marauder's Map nope and that ties into I was saying I don't think they mention do they say that the Whomping Willow was planted for Lupin no, nope. which is kind of an odd thing because of the, and I feel like that's a nice, such a nice they, thing. They also do not explain that all of them were uh, friends. Animagi. Oh yeah, 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 right, right, right. Yeah, and the and the like all that happens. all that backstory is stripped out, which I kind of get because when you get to a point where you're like, all right, I need to take out some of this, I you know, it snowballs to where you're like, if I don't explain this, I have to also explain this and this and this and this. I get that. But I feel. But it's important stuff that needs exactly. to be explained. Um, get as much as I love the shrunken head and some of that stuff. Like get rid of some of the embellishments and get 
It's not. I mean, like, this is. How long is this movie? It's like two and a half hours, right? Isn't it pretty long? I don't think it's quite two and a half. Like, I feel like there's a little bit more room. My, I'm thinking at the very end when Lupin, and I think this might be a scene from the book. Um, I, or maybe I'm just making this up. I don't know. But um, Harry talks to Lupin when Lupin's leaving, and I feel like that would have been great, been a great moment for him to explain. Uh, you don't have to have yeah. go full exposition, but to explain, oh, those were us. Yeah, and 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 then you can get you can get some. It, it has to be an effective scene to not get boring, but just a quick scene, yeah. mostly so that you can set up. Hey, you know, your Patronus was a stag. Your father was able to turn into yeah. a stag. Like that's that's a really cool little yeah. thing. Well, and, also, and, and the I, book starts. The book starts to build up the fact that Snape hates them because yes. he was bullied by them. Yes. And that's something that really starts to get built up in the books of like Harry having to, to grapple with. Mm-hmm. Oh, was his father actually kind of a jerk? And that's just kind of completely glossed over in the movies. Right, right. Um, there's the one bit in the fifth one where he reads Snape's mind and he goes back to that flashback mm-hmm. where he's bullied, but then that's pretty much it. Yeah, yeah. And so it's... Something is lost. <laughs> yes. Um, like, don't even have it. Don't don't even have that scene. Just have Snape be a vindictive prick yeah. because he loved Lily and Lily loved James and he couldn't stand yeah. it. Just have, just have it be that. If you're not going to even bother to really delve into the James actually not being a clear-cut good guy, like, I don't know. Yeah. And I think there are some other moments that do kind of slice the nuance of the book like yeah. that. Um, the kind of sacrifice. It, it, it's clear he's telling more of a visual story, which is really nice. That's what I wanted. I wanted yeah. I wanted the mo- the book to be translated into the language of film rather than, like, we're just making you see what the book looks like if you make the book be in person. There's yeah. he, he does a great job of turning this into a film rather than an adaptation on its own. Yeah. It's a good movie on its own. I don't know if you can say that at least quite as much for the first two because I know the first two we kind of evaluated as adaptations. Yeah. I don't really know if those like if I had no context for Harry Potter and I was watching them right now, you know, as I currently am, uh, yeah. current age current film taste or whatever and I watched the first two Harry Potter movies I'd probably be like oh these are kind of silly kids movies they're fine I guess like yeah. I, I I don't know well, it's very hard to take that out of context but really most of my problems come, with, come from the script mm-hmm. um, although I do have some minor problems with Alfonso Cuarón mm-hmm. um, I'll get into my weird comparison between him and Matthew Vaughn later mm-hmm. um, but even like small things like remember I, I don't know if I said this during one of the episodes but in Deathly Hallows Part 1 Lupin like grabs Harry after they've had the long chasing with the Death Eaters and he's like what was the creature that was sitting yeah. in my office when, when Harry Potter first visited me and he's like a Grindylo that's not in this movie that is specifically from the book mm-hmm. that's very strange yeah and then there's another thing although you could also in, almost in argue movie, that's at fault of Seven for not changing yes. that yes <laughs> Yes. No, no, but but that leads to a problem I have with mm-hmm. this movie, where when Harry blows up his aunt, or is it his aunt, yeah. technically? Marge? Oh. Oh, I'm yeah, not, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah, cause well... It's Vernon's. Uh, it wouldn't technically be his aunt, but yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay, but he, he blows up Marge, and he, he's leaving, and Vernon says, you're not allowed to do magic outside of school. Based on all of the information we've been provided in the movies, 
There is no way they would know that. Hmm. Because Harry gets blamed for Dobby using magic in their household in the second movie, and he gets that letter from the Ministry. That scene is not in the second movie. Huh. Yeah, true. Keep your continuity straight. <laughs> like, know what details you're leaving out. Because little things like that, I'm going to notice. <laughs> <laughs> He's got you. He's on your like, tail. Like, like I know, like, a normal, like, a casual Harry Potter fan is not going right. to notice little things right. like that. Because they're just like, like, they'll be a lot more accepting of things like that. But... Mm. I'm thinking about it from a screenwriter's perspective, and I would just have to keep track of all these little details. I'm like, okay, what are we leaving out? We've yeah. got to make sure that's consistent across the yeah. movies. The movies need to work as a series of films that you don't have to constantly go back to the books for for explanation. Right. And these movies, for the most part, they're they're fine, but they do have that problem. Some movies more significantly than others. I think this one, do, for the most part, does a good job of standing on its own mm-hmm. until we get to the third act. I have problems there. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, like I said, little details like that, they drive me up, drive me up the wall. Um, that being said, my best thing is uh, David Thulis as Lupin, mm-hmm. which I find very, very ironic considering I think my worst thing about Wonder Woman was just the villains. Yeah. And I thought he was flat out terrible in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I thought they, all the villains were flat out terrible in that I mean, movie. Was, did you think David Thewlis specifically was terrible, or did you think the character when he started of Harry yelling, was "Then I will destroy you"? I thought he was terrible, but you know, mm. <laughs> he's well, he's fine up. To and that's something I want to talk about. about. Um, it's it's all about the casting. I was gonna say, I feel like you also there is a like I feel like there is a significant boost in the performances. Yeah, in this movie, I I think I, I'm not sure how much of that is uh, kids growing up. They got some more experience, or how much yeah. of it is Alfonso Cuaron knows what the heck he's doing as as a well, filmmaker to get the takes he wants. Well, it's also interesting. There's a two year break between Chamber of Secrets and this, mm-hmm. um, so it's they, they it wasn't filmed immediately, like right after Chamber of Secrets. Right. So I feel like it gives True. the you know it gives the kids a little bit more time to yeah. to mature just a little yeah, yeah. bit more. I don't know. Plus, Quorum's probably just a better director of actors. That's, than yeah, that's kind of what I'm Chris getting at more. Is I think that's probably where a lot of that comes from. Yeah, but like, there's some genuinely great moments of, of Daniel Radcliffe mm-hmm. acting mm-hmm. in this. Um, and I think Harry Potter's just such a difficult character because <laughs> a lot of times it's just kind of him just looking off into the distance or whatever, mm-hmm. and he's 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 able to sell it. Yeah, I don't know. There's. I, it's very difficult when when you have a character with so much like internal strife, yeah, yeah. just to be able to sell that correctly. And I think he does a pretty good mm-hmm. job, especially in this um, one. I, I think he had problems yeah. in the first two, and I think this one mm-hmm. he really comes into his own. And Rupert Grint got a lot better, mm-hmm. even Emma Watson. <laughs> uh, yeah. She was never the 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 worst of the three. Uh, well, I th- I thought she was the best. No, uh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. And so. But I feel like there's she still shows a lot of improvement. Just that bit where she goes and confronts Malfoy that's exactly and what I punches was him in the face. Yeah. It's amazing. And see, that's that's a moment that they change because that happens not directly when they're going to see Hagrid mm-hmm. and when Buckbeak's going to get decapitated. That's not when that happens when she punches Malfoy. Mm-hmm. That happens 
in a, at a different time. So it's it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, just merge it, mm -hmm. just just push it to where we need it to go. It's fine. It works. It works just and fine. On, it does on, not break in the pacing in the slightest because yeah. you they have have focused so much on the fact that this is taking place over a year. Yeah, and that comes through so well. Yeah. Um, they also they don't have Harry get caught. There are multiple times where he almost gets caught by Snape, I believe. Maybe not multiple times. It might just be the once. Um, but like where just where, just once in the movie where he he finds Peter Pettigrew on the map. Right, right, right. Um, which is not in the book. Uh, which is no a point. but it's a really interesting addition. However, he should be using the invisibility cloak, right? Yeah, yeah sure. Like. Um, that completely breaks the scene for me because I'm like, Harry's not this stupid. I mean, I know sometimes he is stupid, but he's not that stupid. He would bring that cloak, yeah, because in the book he had he brought it with him in, in into one of the, the little uh, escape tunnels to yes. go to to Hogsmeade, and he had to leave it yes. there. Um, so it's stuck in the tunnel when like Snape com Snape confronts him and stuff. Uh, so yeah, that that. Like I said, there's a couple moments yeah. like that where the logic starts to break down a little However, bit. And like, um, even more so, like when uh, Sirius has attacked the fat lady, mm -hmm. who is completely different, and the painting's in a different location, <laughs> and that bothers me. That goes into my Alfonso Cuaron is Matthew Vaughn mm -hmm. thing. I'll come back to. Put that in the corner, we'll get back to it. Mm -hmm. um, but then, like... Dumbledore and Snape are talking very loudly about Harry right next to his body and around all the kids that are sleeping in the Great Hall. I'm like, one of these kids couldn't fall asleep because they're freaked out about Sirius Black. Come on. <laughs> like, one, if not all of these kids, can hear what you're saying. Literally all of them. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's, they're, there's all, no, they're all secretly awake. But there's no attempt to even be like, oh, they're whispering. Like, they're attempting to whisper, okay, yeah. we can kind of get away with it. They're just talking. True. They're just talking normally. <laughs> it's, it's little moments like that where I'm like, oh, it, the movie's pretty, but that's just kind of dumb. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, Stuff like that caught my eye. However. I don't know. I do want to talk about that Peter Pettigrew thing for a second. Because yeah. that is something that I just thought was in the book. Because I feel like that yeah. works so well. That's such an mm -hmm. obvious place to go. Oh, he notices Peter Pettigrew on the map. And he know he's yeah. just learned about Peter Pettigrew. Oh, that's weird. Oh, he's going to go check it out. He wasn't able to find him because we found out later. Oh, he's a rat. He ran by Harry. Um, yeah. I feel like that's such an like an obvious addition to the the sort of mystery buildup. Um, yeah. And and the setup and payoff, and I like that quite a bit. Yeah. But back to my best thing. <laughs> So David Thewlis, I, I once again the defense against the dark arts professor wins. Mm -hmm. um, I love Lupin, and I wish they actually utilized him more in these movies because he's awesome. Mm -hmm. Pretty much every scene he's in, I'm like, I'm enjoying this quite a bit. That train scene is perfect with the Dementor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's just played exactly how it needs to be. It's just awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, well, specifically just all the stuff where he's got the Bogart and he's training yep. Harry on on using the, the Patronus. Um, like I, I, I totally dug all that. Mm -hmm. uh, my worst thing. I've got a couple of potential things for worst things, so I'll just list them both. Um, number one, I'm not sure about Gary Oldman's performance when he's crazy. Yep. Um, his Entertaining switch, as it is. <laughs> His switch to, 
oh, I'm your godfather. We're totally cool, right? Yeah. There is such a light switch turn that yeah. drove me nuts. Which um, I kind of have the same problem with the book. Um, it's not, but it didn't. It, it, obviously, well, you can't see. He, well, well, Gary Oldman is playing it so over the top yeah. when they first see him. I feel like he's not that crazy when they see him in the book. There's specifically a moment where where Lupin goes, um, "Hold on, Sirius. Harry has he he deserves to know why we're doing what we're doing." And Sirius goes, "I've waited for twelve years." Like he's yelling, yeah. like he's complaining about it. Whereas in the book, he he says something along the lines of. Well, I've waited 12 years. What's a few more minutes? Oh, huh. Like a complete opposite. Yeah, true. And th- I was like... Uh, and, and that's something Gary Oldman was known for, particularly before he was like Jim Gordon. Mm-hmm. Like, he used... He would do, like, over-the-top roles. Like, mm-hmm. Lost in Space, The Fifth Element, um, Dracula. Uh, he, he's kind of known for doing over-the-top performances. Right. So it's just interesting seeing... Within this same character, he kind of transfers into the Gary Oldman <laughs> that we know now, like modern day Gary Oldman. Alfonso Cuarón. He just he just uh, put his hands on his face and was like, "All right, now you're going to be a completely different actor." <laughs> but the, but that whole scene, I'm like, yeah. he's not doing himself any favors in trying to convince them that he's not the bad guy. It is always. And I, and that goes even further to, like, when they're taking the picture and they keep posting his picture everywhere and it's, like, him, like, laughing yep. and trying to shake everyone off. I'm like, is that, is it, like, a magic thing where that's, like, the photographer's interpretation of what's happening? Or is Sirius actually doing that? Because if so, that's very dumb Random side part. note um, related to that. In Order of the Phoenix, uh, where Percy, the, the book at least, I don't remember anything about the movie really, um, but where yeah. Percy... Uh, like uh gets super angry at his parents kind of off in between books and uh storms out on them uh percy is in one scene of order of the phoenix if i recall or maybe a couple he's he pretty much like drags harry into dumbledore's office when fudge and umbridge are confronting dumbledore that's that's about it like everything with percy gets like dropped completely um like in this one i think um, they briefly are like, oh, he keeps shouting that he's head boy, but there's nothing really done with that. And I think they mention Penelope Clearwater, at least in the last one, um, like once or twice, just huh. offhand dialogue. I think nearly headless Nick says something about that. Right. Um, huh. Um, well, I was just going to say, should they have cut out some of Ron's brothers? <laughs> or merged them. Um, or merged them. I was going to say, so, like Bill and uh, what's uh, Charlie. Charlie? Yeah, just make them the same character. Just cut it, cut it down. Yeah. We we'll make them a new. Give character. us more room for Fred and we'll George. We'll call him Billy. <laughs> no, give us <laughs> give us more room for Fred and George. Dang it. Um, yeah. Anyway, the point of this tangent. Uh, just say it's Ron, Fred, George, and Percy. We don't need the any point more. of this Fine. tangent. Oh, Jenny, I guess. Yeah, yeah is. <laughs> <laughs> Is that um, in this in that Percy uh, or there, Mister Weasley has a uh, photo in his office of his family, and Percy has stormed out of it, and that just that just set. My, I was just like, wait, what is what is happening? Like, what's the logic of all of this? Yeah. Do, are they connected with the characters' mindsets? Did did, did yeah, picture that's that's strange. Did picture yeah. Percy also get upset with his family because he's the same character but only in a picture form what's what's happening 
Wait, wait, wait. So, like, what if it's a picture of, like, 12-year-old Ron, and it's like he's 21? That's what I'm saying. And he's like, I'm leaving to go live with Hermione. Bye, parents. Like, does does he just leave the picture? But he's 12 years old in the picture. Like, what ha- what's what's going on? <laughs> what? I don't... This whole world's full of holes. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't buy it for a second. So, anyway, serious. <laughs> but, yeah, that that... So much of his behavior comes off as, oh, we need to make the audience believe that he's a bad guy and he's going to yep. kill Harry, as opposed to that's not actually how he would be. Right. Let's be a little more subtle about right. this. Um, it is, I think, in the book, a, l- a little bit of a problem that they they drag out the reveal that he's actually a good guy so long in that third act where it's like they're, they're all having the argument and it's like someone should just say, hey, I, someone should come in and just like, Either Lupin or Sirius to immediately explain well, what's going on. Also, and that, they that keep pulling a, this it, on. Well, it's another change from the book. Because in the book, Lupin is not the one that lets Sirius into the castle. He's not in on this plan. Because he doesn't find out that Sirius was not responsible until he shows up there in the Shrieking Shack. Do they say that Lupin's responsible? Yes. No, no. In this movie, they say that Lupin lets him, Sirius into the... Huh. Into the, I completely the missed castle. that. Yes. Interesting. Um, Hermione says that he doesn't deny it, and then like they're immediately like buddy buddy when they meet up, as opposed to the book where Lupin's like, "Hold on, what's going on?" Yeah. Like there, there's a moment where he he's like threatening Sirius, and Sirius is like, "No, it wasn't me." Like, yeah. it's Pettigrew. Like he's alive, and Lupin's like, "Oh my god, he's alive!" <laughs> I kind of wish that it stayed the same. Yeah, that's odd. Know. It's not a change. Yeah. Yeah. And that feels like something where they were trying to just like, oh, if we have Lupin be involved, maybe we can kind of cut out mm-hmm. some of this stuff. But I don't know. Uh, a lot of that stuff, it's just like we need a lot of this information. Like, how does Sirius know to – why does he attack now? Because in the book, it's like, oh, he saw the newspaper with Ron's family going to Egypt and he sees Scabbers. Yeah. And he's like, oh, my God, that's Peter Pettigrew. I got to go to Hogwarts and find him. Mm-hmm. Um, also, huge convenience that Peter Pettigrew happens to be so close to Harry Potter. Well, they say there's that, still children's books at this point, so I'm uh, I mean, they, willing to, to they explain, cut some slack. They explain that he specifically tried to find a pure-blood wizarding family, like a. An, an... Well, it's just of all the families, it happens to be the one that sure. Harry Potter gets really buddy with. But I mean, that's all, that's 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 all I'm saying. But I'm saying the alternative. It, it's sort of the kind of thing where the alternative would be you could have it. He's with another family, um, like, and he's with another kid at Hogwarts. Yeah. And then it just becomes, like, it's, it's, it's much more interesting from a drama perspective to have Wormtail be there so that then you kind of get into the stuff with Hermione and Ron, which they don't play up as much in the movie, but at least. I, I actually kind of like that they don't no, play I that agree. stuff up that there, much. There's a, I, there's... I, I really don't like the whole thing where it's like, oh, we're just going to be mean to Hermione, and then Harry's like, yeah, I'm going to ignore her too. And then Hagrid's like, what, I mean, what are you, why are you two being such idiots? I mean, I feel like in the, the, the book it's more like. I don't. I feel like. I don't. I don't get that vibe from Harry as much. I mean, obviously that's what Ron's doing, but I don't think it. Well, he 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 ignores her too. Like, I don't think it's it's not as as aggressive, but he's he does like ignore her. I mean, he also like tries to get both of them to talk to each other and stuff. It's, there's there's some of that. I, I don't. Think. I mean, yeah, yeah, obviously it's nuanced. I'm, I'm, I'm going. I'm going a little hyperbole there, but I I'm, but I I was gonna not, say not a, I'm not a huge fan of whatever 
these three characters just get into petty arguments with each other. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that that gets worse, it, particularly movie wise, in the next mm-hmm. one. Um, with Ron being like, "Oh, you 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 went for the cup, even though I know you, and I know you wouldn't actually do that." I kind of <laughs> love that because that's a, that's in the I, book as well, and I I think that's amazing. Um, because that's I, just I, such an interesting yeah. place to take the. I feel like the the fourth book completely uh, prevents this entire series. Like the fourth book isn't. Well, I'll, we'll just have to talk about the fourth book when we get there. I think it is. I, I'm very interested to see the movie because I think I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's extremely impressive how Rowling manages to weave all these plot lines and mysteries together. Like the, 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 the overall setup for all of that is just insane and intricate and awesome. Um, but also the fact that she completely turns the entire series on its head and stops it from becoming uh, Harry fights Voldemort. I guess at the, uh, he's fights yeah. some, some people and I don't know, maybe this crazy guy. Should, I don't, like it, it stops the entire series from becoming stale in that one book yeah. because it turns it into, He's the chosen one, and that's not a good thing. Everyone yeah. kind of doesn't like him because of it. I think that's a great yeah. reveal that Ron is actually like super ticked off about him uh, being in the in the. When you, at least when reading it, I think it plays really well. Um, I, it just comes off to me like they've been through too many adventures. Ron should have well, grown up point. at least a little no, bit by this that's point. That's the entire point: is that Ron is upset, and I know we're talking about the Goblet of Fire and going way off track here, but the the entire point is that Ron is like like Harry's been the one who defeated Tom Riddle and defeated the Basilisk and Harry's the one who defeated Voldemort. Harry's the one whose godfather was the the crazy guy from Azkaban. Yeah. Ron was actually just like completely inhospitalized while Hermione and Harry go off on an adventure in time yeah. traveling. Like Ron's just so ups- like so done with being left out of everything and he's upset about the fact that he thinks Harry actually did it but didn't tell him. And I don't know. I I think I think that's such a great twist because it stops the entire series from turning into Harry gets thrown in these crazy situations but everyone supports him and loves him and then everything turns out fine like it turns into like oh Harry keeps getting in these situations with like very few people to actually turn to because he's an angsty teen and they're all angsty teens and it's just such a mess Um, anyway we can talk more about that I don't know Maybe it's because I just think the fact that they do that and then, like like we've talked about in the last couple episodes, they cut out a lot of Ron's exposition. I feel like that just feeds into this yeah. whole thing of, like, Ron's just a useless idiot. Yeah, in the movies, definitely. In these movies. Um, and that, that definitely doesn't help. And then he leaves in, in Deathly Hallows Part 1. It's like, just just kill him and leave him for dead. And like, it doesn't matter. It's fine. Leave him for the grim. Speaking of cutting characters. I, wanted to- I have not gotten my second worst thing. You have two? Yeah, that's what I said. I said I had a couple. I didn't know what to pick, oh. so I was just going to list them both. You're not allowed to do that. Um, so, so the first thing is the... <laughs> well, I'll say both and you ch- you choose one All for right. me. How about that? So the first one is the light bulb switch with, with Gary Oldman's performance. Um, even though I like Gary Oldman, mm-hmm. of course. Uh, and he's... Both roles are entertaining. Mm-hmm. But I just feel like story-wise... It is one of those things where it's like, we got to fake out the audience as long as possible. Right. Act like a crazy man. Don't act like a logical person. Um, but then also, the fact, there's a lot of stuff that they leave out of that third act, information-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, how Sirius escapes, why he escapes now. Um, True. A lot of stuff with Pettigrew. Um, all, all the stuff with... with uh, 
the Marauders map and, and them being all animagi. It, it is that how you say it? Because I know animagus. That's the singular. Do you have to do a weird thing for the plural? Sounds right. Okay, um, but even more so. So they have the scene where Harry goes to Trelawney, who is awesome, by the way. Yes. I think it's Emma Thompson. Uh, Trelawney is amazing, mm-hmm. and she's like straight off the page. Mm-hmm. Um, but he goes to her office. She has the weird thing where she's like, "Oh, servant and master will be reunited." Blah. That scene is never addressed again. Yeah. There's. And I love. I, the- I okay. Hold on. I could see how it it making this movie. You'd go. Well, the previous two movies, we have a scene at the very end after everything's been taken care of where Dumbledore talks to Harry and sort of explains a lot of stuff. I could see them saying, we shouldn't repeat ourselves, but I think it's necessary to have that scene where he goes... Well, you could even do that in a scene with with Lupin at the end. You could could switch it. Or or maybe you just have it Harry when he's sitting in the woods with Hermione and he's talking about, oh, I think I saw my dad. Maybe he's like, oh yeah, by the way, Trelawney had this vision and it was really weird and she blacked out and Hermione's like, oh my god, did she actually have like a yeah. real vision? Yeah. Um, and a little... Th- also, this, also the subtle things, I know this is in the book, but the whole thing about Hermione just randomly showing up in scenes, mm-hmm. uh, that's very well done as well. Mm-hmm. And that's that's super subtle and in the background. Um, but yeah, like, that that needs to be brought up at some point with Trelawney. Yeah. And that's just... And not like that. That's almost something I feel like if you're not going to address that, just cut her out of the movie entirely um, as well. Well, and that's sort of the thing too. Well, you, she sets up the Grim. That's fine. You can have one scene. Well, um, but, one thing. Okay, so who is the Grim in reference to? Is it is it supposed to be Harry's future that the Grim is for? I guess. I mean, it's all supposed to be kind of hogwash. Well, well, because because he. So when we're seeing it all over the place, is it actually supposed to be like, oh, the future is telling him something? When like, I, I'm when, a little confused on that because no, no, nobody no, no, actually so, dies in this. Movie. Yeah, yeah. So, so they and this is something that I was talking about earlier about the fact that as cool visual as the Grim Cloud is, it is kind of a problem because okay, um, or you could read it a couple ways actually um, because of the way it's presented to the audience and this also it's up to your interpretation. So it's automatically an A plus, correct? Because that's just how movies work. <laughs> Um, it, this also kind of goes into the into the Dementor scene, which we'll talk about in just a second. Specifically, well, yeah. sorry, the Bogart scene uh, with Lupin and the fact that Lupin's biggest... We'll talk about the scene in a second. Um, point is, the idea, at least in the book, is that Sirius keeps showing up because Sirius is a big shaggy dog. Harry is like, oh, that's kind of weird. Not can be confused with the Shaggy Dog starring Correct. Tim Allen and Robert Downey Jr. I want not to be confused with that. I want the version of this where Tim Allen plays Sirius Black. Um, release and Robert Downey Jr. plays the Whomping Willow. Correct. <laughs> I want the Tim Allen cut. Um, so release the Tim release, Allen cut. Warner Brothers. Release the Tim Allen cut. Uh, Fox actually needs to release the Tim Allen cut. <laughs> so they, they're, they're the proprietors. Um, so, is it in the fault with with Dark Phoenix and New? That's Mutants? correct. <laughs> New Mutants is actually the Tim Allen cut of Preserve House Command. Uh, and I can say whatever I want about it because it's never coming out. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so uh, boy, the idea is that Sirius is, is showing up. He's, he's a giant black dog. 
Um, he just happens to be a giant black dog. Yeah. Trelawney, meanwhile, always they, they they say in the book at least that she pretty much always predicts somebody's going to die. Like she she latches yeah. onto somebody. She's like, which is not mentioned in the in the movies, right? Um, at all. Yes, and she always latches on. She's like, oh, this kid's gonna die. Um, and she sees the Grimm supposedly in his cup. We don't really, we aren't really able to see it. Ron obviously yeah. doesn't see it at all. Like he, he's talking about something completely different. But Trelawney freaks out, and oh, it seems oh, to be Trelawney's BS. On. Ron's dialogue. Yes. Is, no, no, is Harry's dialogue in the book when Harry really? is reading Ron's cup? They switch that, and that bothers me because it does not look at all like what Ron says he sees. Yes, that is odd. Um, but yes, that is the idea: is that Trelawney's making this up. The Grim. Ha- Once again, make your details make sense. Yeah, there are a couple of lines of dialogue they just wholesale take from the book. I can't really remember them now, but they don't really work when put in this movie. Anyway. I don't know if it's Steve Clovis. I don't know if it's him specifically who's to blame for these weird things. Um, well, this movie has a that, couple that, of weird moments like that where I think it's more... That's the script. Uh, Quaron does not particularly care about that being the exact thing yeah. that happens. Well my, well, my thing is, like, the little details being dropped and stuff, that's throughout all of these yeah. movies. Yeah. So... Clovis and Rowling are like the only consistent mm-hmm. ones across. I mean, some of the producers as well. Sure. So I like I'm not sh- quite sure who's Is to Avi Arad for a that. producer. Oh God! Uh, yeah, him and uh, uh, Horsey and Kurtzman. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Michael and, Bay, and Lindelof, <laughs> Lindelof, and Zack Snyder, and Kathleen Kennedy, <laughs> <laughs> and Ryan Johnson. We're throwing them all in there today. It's got a big pot going. Make ourselves a stew. Oh. Kevin Feige's an executive producer, so he doesn't get any say whatsoever. <laughs> um, anyway. But he's like, I don't want my name on that. So then they got rid of it. Sure. That was his one decision as an executive That was his one decision. Uh, so. Uh, um, yes, Harry sees Sirius. Yeah. Sees him a couple of times. Maybe I think it's like three times, actually, maybe. Two or three times throughout the book. Um, right. And... There's also the whole thing about Crookshanks goes out and like befriends him yes, in the woods. Yes, that's what it is. Yeah, that's the third time. Yeah, so he sees him yeah. once before the night bus shows up because he accidentally calls the night bus. He sees him again. Also, after a certain point, Crookshanks is just dropped from this movie. Yep, and it's like Crookshanks Which should is, not be in this movie. In fairness, they they don't make a big deal about introducing him either. He just shows yeah. up, and Imran's like Hermione's new cat is terrorizing my mouse, and it's like okay, sounds good. Um, the anyway. Also, they they uh, oh. Well, like we said earlier, they make much less of a deal out of, oh, Crookshanks killed yeah. Ron's rat. Yeah. Like the, it's it's more like Ron thinks that yes. we're not really yes. sure, as opposed to oh, they found a blood stain in the room. Yeah, like it's much more. Yes, like oh, Crookshanks probably killed the rat. Yeah, exactly. Um, I like the way they play that in this. I agree. I, I like that better than because than that bothers me a lot in the book. Uh, because they make it Hermione seem like a kind of an idiot, um, where she just like refuse, like it's like, your like I said, probably I, kill this pet. You know, a lot of times I don't like when they get into but arguments that's one, with each other because oftentimes one person is played like an idiot. Right, but that's one where I actually like I I don't like it for yeah. that. Like in the I think it works in Goblet of Fire. I don't think it works here because in the book specifically because it's like Hermione should be more sympathetic to the fact that hey. 
her cat might have eaten his rat. Like, there are clues and evidence. Well, especially, especially when you get to, like, the fourth one, she's like, we must free the house yeah. elves. I'm like, well, you didn't care about Ron's rat <laughs> about last scabbers? year. Free scabbers, huh? Hashtag free scabbers. Um, Hashtag release the scabbers cut. By which I I'm mean, imagine, take his mangled body that. out of Crookshank's paws. Continue. <laughs> now I'm just imagining that shot where they, they hit Pettigrew with the curse and he transforms from a rat and he just becomes like his human self and I'm just imagining Tim Allen. <laughs> <laughs> but he's in a Buzz Lightyear costume. <laughs> dirty and like he's yeah. he's missing a wing yeah. <laughs> and I can see you can see him doing the little like uh, the, the thing that works. He's missing his arm like in the first Toy Story. You can see him doing the uh, the the little rat like I don't even know what you call it but the, the like sniffling that Wormtail does. I can picture Tim Allen doing that and I feel like he's done it in a movie and I don't know why. But then he starts talking about having tea with Mrs. Nesbitt, and everybody's like, oh, he's lost his Mrs. mind. Mrs. Nesbitt. Yes. Um, I don't know where we were. Something about the Grim. The Grim. That's what we were talking about. So, anyway, Sirius. You were talking about the interpretations of the Grim, because I'm a little bit yes. confused about yes. that. So Sirius is a giant black dog. Harry right. sees him three times in the book. He sees him when he's calling the night bus. He sees him at the Quidditch match in the stands. It's actually... A dog in the stands. It's not a cloud. Yeah. Then he sees him on the on the grounds with Crookshanks not long before the entire third act happens. Um, yeah. So he interprets all of these as there's a giant black dog. It is an omen of my death because Trelawney is like, oh, the Grim, because that happens to be a symbol of death. And maybe I don't know. Maybe you, if you really if it really bothers you, you can get in sort of headcanny about him. Maybe Sirius is likes to play practical jokes, so he wants to be this giant terrifying dog. Maybe he learned about the Grim while he was at Hogwarts, and that's when he turned it in. I don't know. You can do something with that. Not a big deal. Basically, here's a big black dog. It's a coincidence that that's also a sign of death, because... And Trelawney is just making up BS about it. It's not really supposed to mean anything. Like, yeah. Trelawney just happens to see that, and so she's, like... that. That's where that comes in. That's the only, like, interpretive thing. And she's looking at a teacup that Ron did not see a, a giant, terrifying dog in. So it's like... Again, the movie kind of... But then you can also... The idea, I think, in the movie should be that Harry is just... He's, he's freaking out, and he's seeing this, and he's interpreting it. Like, we, the dog he sees in the clouds, is he's that's what he's, like... Yeah. Thinking it looks like, because he's looking for that, I guess. Yeah. But obviously, it is a giant dog, because they have to make it look like a giant dog for us to believe that's what it is. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I don't know. I feel like the movie doesn't do enough to play Trelawney as incompetent. I agree. And that's what um, I was going to say is the fact that Hermione storms out is not really... Because the... I love the, the bit where... Um... It's a really great thing where uh... Trelawney in the very first class in the book says one of our number will leave us forever in this month or like in the beginning of next year. Something like that. Yeah. Kind of a vague-ish timeline. And uh, Lavender Brown and Pravati Patil, I still don't really know how to pronounce that, and I feel bad about it. Um, they lap it up. They love her. They think she's amazing. And she makes these predictions that are sort of vague, and then they come true. And it's it's, yeah. it's not really said that she's completely flat out just like a, an absolute fraud, but it is sort of like a lot of her predictions don't really play out the way she wants them to, and like she's not really... And like they play up the fact that, that Harry and Ron like to make up 
when they they give up on their homework and they just start making up really terrible stuff that happens to them and she starts giving them really high, high marks for like quote unquote facing their doom their inevitable doom yeah. or whatever and so it's like yeah um and I really love the fact that she predicts that Hermione's or that someone's gonna leave forever and then Hermione leaves because she storms out because she's like this is all a bunch of bullcrap and yeah. then. Lavender or Pravati, one of the two, is like, "Oh my gosh, you said that it's you, someone's going to leave forever." And Trollani's like, "Yes, I did. I am great at this." Um, and then, uh, yeah, they, been, they would have been interesting if, if I, I don't, I guess Ron doesn't have scabbers with him in the class, but I think that would have been interesting if she's like, "One of us, one of somebody will leave us, and it ends up being <laughs> scabbers." I don't know. Yeah, um, but then. That, so yeah that all works really well and it's a really nice payoff when it's like oh she just made a real prediction it's kind of terrifying yeah. um, and then it also sets up is well, it, I just love the, the really I, I love the scene where in the book where he talks to Dumbledore and Dumbledore talks very like he thinks it's adorable he's like oh yeah. she actually made like a exactly. real prediction yeah. isn't that adorable well, he says that but then in that he specifically sets up he's like she's only made two real predictions in her entire life and yeah. then the set, the first prediction doesn't it the first prediction turn out to be the one the prophecy yeah the, pro- right? the actual prophecy about Harry um, I think so or that ends up being related to Harry at least yeah and yeah. so that's a great setup that we've kind of lost because of that and yeah um, Steve Cloves talks to Rowling and asks her <laughs> about like what stuff should be included I don't know where the communication gap is in in this this situation but somebody's messing up it's like when you give a give somebody a group assignment and you can tell that person doesn't really want to do it and so but they have to do some work and so they're like oh yeah yeah yeah, i can do that and then when you get it you have to redo it all anyway and you're like oh yeah i should have just done it myself (laughs) that that's the thing that frustrates me the most because rowling's writing those those fantastic beast movie movies now she's doing the scripts she should have done these in the first place (laughs) drives me up a wall Mm -hmm. Because it's not like you have to completely, like... Like, she, she, she's she got most of it done. She just has to tidy yeah. it up and make it more yeah. more tight. And, like, she knows where the story's going. So it's mm-hmm. not like it would have been this complete time suck that would have made her take another ten years to write the, the Harry Potter books. I mean... Yeah. I don't know. Okay, so getting back to the Grimm, just one last thing. So, ultimately, what where does the book fall on... Because I'm just confused. The book falls Cause, on... Because like, nobody actually dies, but then there's a, like, oh, the Grimm is actually a real thing, and it's, like, referencing Harry dying later on, but then we never see no. the Grimm again. No, the book, the book is, is, falls on the side of, this is entirely not a thing. Okay, it's just a, it's just a uh, coincidence. Yes, it's just a coincidence. Trelawney mentions okay. it once, and then Sirius keeps showing up, so Harry freaks out, until we realize, oh... Okay. That dog is actually serious black. Okay. That's, everything kind of comes back around. The cloud is really the problem, yes. isn't it? That's that's yes. really the only problem. Okay. Which plays into, let's talk about the Boggart scene. Um, specifically, the, the first one. Um, where where it's, it's Lupin's first lesson. And in this scene, um, two things happen that are different from the book. I, I'm torn about one, and then one of them, I think, is a problem that I don't know how you get around. Um, one is that uh, Harry so the in the book Lupin jumps in front of the Boggart before it gets to Harry so that Harry beca- or because Lupin is worried that Lord Voldemort is going to appear in the classroom 
Yeah. And so he's like, that 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 would probably be be a little too much for for the kiddos here. Let's let's stop that from happening. Um, right. In the movie, it actually turns into a Dementor, but Lupin, I guess, doesn't realize that it's a Dementor. He's just like, oh, a giant, terrifying, shadowy hood thing. Like he's already jumped in front of it as it turns into a Dementor, and then he changes yeah. it. Um, kind of an interesting choice because then afterwards, um, I mean, it's it's a visual change, I guess, but it's afterwards. Uh, uh, Lupin is like, oh, I thought that it was going to be Lord Voldemort. He was like, oh no, actually, I was thinking the Dementors. And Lupin's like, oh yeah, that's that's brave of you. And I think they still have that dialogue in the movie. Yes, um, yes, they do. So that's fine, I guess. But the bigger problem is that. Lupin's worst fear is the moon and it's not like in, it's it's played like it in the book it sounds like it looks like a crystal ball yeah in the movie it is a hologram of the moon with clouds around it and everything and it hovers on that shot for a good five ten seconds maybe not quite that long but it, it it's very like hit the moon is his worst fear and it's very very obvious very quickly that Lupin is a werewolf in the movie I feel I don't know. I feel like because you, I, I, I feel like it's not as quite as long as you make it out to be because he immediately plays it for a joke. I don't know. Yeah, I just think that makes it very obvious. And then of course, like the one well, plus, lesson we get, he, he says he shouts like here, like or something right before he like leaps out in front of it. So some of the students could have interpreted that as as some kind of spell. Yes. Flimsy, I know, <laughs> flimsy, but it's something. But then also the only time, like one of the only Snape scenes in the movie actually is Snape giving them an, an essay about werewolves that focuses on some slides about werewolves for a while. Yeah. These hints are in the book, but they're not nearly as played up. They're slipped in. Yeah. Um, you can still pick it up in the book, but it's it's very, very obvious, which if you don't want to make it a mystery, that's fine. And it does also play into something I have a problem with in both the book and the movie, which is the fact that Lupin doesn't take his potion that night, and it doesn't really like, like in the 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 climax of the movie, it doesn't really ever satisfactorily explain why he didn't take it. Yeah, because because in the in the movie or the book, it, it doesn't Snape. He's like, yeah, I followed you because I was going to try and give you the potion. Yeah, something like that. And it's like there's some explanation about kind of furthering an explanation for why Snape actually shows up. Yeah, there. and it's like, why um, is Lupin not? Like, Lupin should be smarter than this, even if he knows that Sirius is back. Like, he's just going to make things worse. He turns yeah. up as a werewolf. And I've never really been able to reconcile that. I'm not a... And then it, it kind of ruins everything. And so that that's a bit of a problem for me. <laughs> but that's a... Turn, turn to page 394. <laughs> I think your Snape has a bit of Palpatine in him. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Every, everything I do has a little palp, pal, palpy in it. Yeah. You know. I'm just sitting there at the computer. Do I watch a YouTube video? Do it. All right. Sounds good, Palpy. Yes, I do talk to Palpy sometimes in my head. It's fine. Mm-hmm. It's fine. No problems at all. Mm-hmm. Sure. Let's talk about Buckbeak. I like to imagine, like, I got a little Palpatine on my shoulder. It's like I'm watching a movie and he's giving his commentary. <laughs> I'm watching Don't go Revenge in of the there. Sith. Don't go in I'm... there! <laughs> Like, I'm watching Revenge of the City, so, that is a handsome man. <laughs> but he's got, like, a this fried monster's totally face. Inaccurate. <laughs> That's not how it happened. <laughs> that is a painful voice to do. <laughs> so, what were you saying? The Buckbeak. 
Buckbeak's fine. I like the scene with with him and Hagrid, and then Dra- Draco gets mm-hmm. gets uh, attacked by Buckbeak. The shot of Buckbeak flying nice. on the water with Harry is gorgeous, and I love it. And the score's excellent. Oh yes, we haven't even mentioned that the point. Score yet. It's John Williams, and it's. It bothers me that there's not enough of the score from the previous two movies, mm-hmm. but it has a very distinct personality yeah. to it. Yeah. That feels very like Alfonso Cuarón. Yes, like it yes. Fit, it matches the movie. Oh, it's, it's an it's an amazing adaptation into this new style. Um, yeah, and there's still some elements. I mean, Hedwig's theme is still there. Yeah, in bits and pieces, and it's it's an excellent score. It is annoying that the, it doesn't carry over everything from the first two, but it's an excellent score. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about the last scene where it's like, oh, he's got the firebolt, and then he just flies away. I don't know how I feel about that. Well, that's a whole thing. So, so. Oh, my God. Um, Malfoy. This, this is all going to tie together. Malfoy, right? You've established yep. before, you think it would not be completely amiss when we're trying to save time in these movies to cut Malfoy out. The only problem you're dealing with is Half-Blood Prince. And, and guess what? how much the they already botched up that movie. Went horribly wrong anyway. I, who cares? Um, if there was ever a case for that, it would be this movie. Because... I've got an idea. How about you just have Lucius show up, and it's like, oh, he's an established bad guy. Oh, he's a Death Eater. He's working with Voldemort. Um, And then we run into his son in the sixth movie. Just have him show up. We have characters show up randomly all the time. Luna Lovegood just shows up. Cho Chang just shows up. Also, you know in the next book that Cedric Diggory is going to be a, a, a primary character... Why do we not have that yep. actor in this when we show his face? Yep. Like these Cornelius Fudge. I said this in the last episode. They set him up. He's in Chamber of Secrets for one scene, but it's the same actor. <laughs> Come on. So Malfoy. Um, I agree completely. And may- but- oh, maybe they did intend to bring that actor back. Could be. I don't Could know. Be. And maybe he he couldn't come back. Do for they some say? Reason, so I was they trying to pay actor. attention to it. I don't know if I missed it. Do they say that Hufflepuff is the team they're playing? Yes. Okay. I don't think they say specifically he is Cedric Diggory, right. Right. but they, it is Hufflepuff because they are wearing yellow. Yes. Um, which is still something is lost by the fact that they don't establish that it's Cedric Diggory, but whatever. At least they don't. And they also don't do anything with the 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 cup and like. Uh, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Um, okay. Okay. Malfoy. Back to Malfoy. So, Malfoy, we've already, I, or at least I particularly had a big problem with the fact that he starts just popping up in all of Harry's classes in the last two movies yes. because they're supposed to be kind of like, oh, sometimes it's just the Gryffindors, sometimes they have they have double uh, and classes with Gryffindors and Hufflepuffs. And I spe- mentioned it specifically in reference to this yes. one because in the Bogart scene, it makes no sense that Malfoy and his goons aren't saying anything after a Dementor attacks Harry. Yes. They should be immediately making jokes about that. This book is almost the book where Harry beats Malfoy in terms of, like, he has such bigger fish to fry from this point on that Malfoy becomes just, like... Malfoy becomes sort of the face of everyone who doesn't like him at Hogwarts, but he's no longer really, like, oh, that's Harry's rival. Like, Harry is Mm -hmm. now, like, so much big... When the fourth book on... Harry has so much else going on that it's just sort of... And he's doing well, so much this, of his own stuff. It's, well, after this, it's almost like Malfoy becomes kind of Ron's rival yeah, in a way. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
this and specifically in this one in the book there's two more quidditch matches that they don't show one so after yeah. this one happens harry falls from his broom uh cedric grabs the snitch as harry's falling from the broom that's kind of played weird i don't know what they're going on with that also wood is not in this movie and i find oh, that amusing I didn't specifically even because the scene where harry wakes up and he's like oh no the broom's destroyed and like the team is all around him and wood's nowhere <laughs> to be seen and i'm like oh no, 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 because they he did die in Chamber of Secrets. I, ah, I talked about this. Go. His his broom gets, to, <laughs> even though you said he shows up in a later scene in that movie, I'm still going with he died in that scene. Bad editing. <laughs> Bad editing. Um, no. What, what was, we, we said release the whatever cut the last time. What, what, what joke did we come up with? Was it just release the Columbus cut? I think cut? release the Columbus cut. Okay, yeah, release the Columbus cut. Bad editing. <laughs> so... Um, there's two more quiz matches because because that it sets up like an arc for Harry because Harry falls from the broom as Cedric is catching the snitch like Cedric beats him yeah. to the snitch yeah. and then the Dementors show up and then Harry falls from his broom it's kind of an interesting little time setup thing um, and so Cedric wins immediately realizes oh crap Harry fell from his broom wants to reschedule the match like Cedric's an awesome dude and so he, he doesn't yeah. do that um, they the they and say I love he won parents in the next one where where when they meet him and his father at the 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 cup. Mm-hmm. The, his father's the, so proud of him. Or whatever. And he's like, you beat Harry Potter. You remember to tell everyone that you yeah. beat Harry Potter. And Cedric's like, dad, it wasn't fair. Yeah. Like the conditions. And he's like, I, I don't care who got, who caught the snitch. It was yeah. you. Yeah. Well, he's like, you didn't, he, he said, he says like, you didn't fall off. Or one, yeah. one guy fa- falls off his broom. One doesn't, doesn't take much to tell you who's the better writer or whatever. And it's great. Yeah. It's a great thing where Cedric is like trying to downplay it. Anyway. Um, it's almost like Cedric has a personality and he's not just Guy McGuy. Yeah. That's the reason that Harry goes to take lessons. And I think, I guess that's still the reason in the movie, right? Or is, it, is that already set up? I think it's it's separate. It is I don't separate. think it's specifically it's because I need to, what if the Dementors yeah. attack me yeah. again? During Which the makes sense By the way, because they the Dementors are an amazing visual. Yes. Um, they're just terrifying. They're great. Um, Maybe a little much, or a little too much, like ring wraiths. I don't know. Eh, it's fine. They're great. They're yeah, creepy and yeah. gross, and it's awesome. Um, yeah, and the effect of like everything getting yes. cold around them when they show excellent. up, like that, like you said, that whole scene on the train is just mm-hmm. excellent in terms of just like, oh, we know what these things are capable of immediately right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Very well done. Um, yeah. So the sec- Harry goes to Lupin specifically for like. What if they show up again? Then in yeah. the second match, Malfoy and his goons show up, uh, acting as Dementors, and Harry blasts them with a Patronus charm and catches the snitch, and, and it and, scares them silly. Yeah, and they and they lose their minds, and then everyone like they they make complete fools of themselves. Um, and Harry does an awesome Patronus because there's not actually a Dementor. It's great. Yeah. Um, and then in the third match, he beats Malfoy head on because by this point. Well, actually, no, by the second match, he's gotten the Firebolt. Which is an interesting yes. thing, is that this one doesn't end with them leaving Hogwarts, so technically those matches could still happen in the movie if you really you really want to play it that way, depending on the timing. I don't I mean I wasn't thinking I don't attention. like that. But the, I don't like I'm that. I'm just at saying, all. like, theoretically they don't they don't completely like just wipe through it. The logic is still technically there. Yeah. Um but that's Harry uses his firebolt, and then in the the um the third match, he defeats Slytherin by uh, knocking Malfoy's hand he's it's a really great scene it's like he's literally flying alongside Malfoy Malfoy spots it 
and Harry gets distracted somehow. Harry races him down, stands up on his broom, knocks him out for his armor ray away. He's just like, nah, screw you, and grabs a snitch, and it's awesome. Um, yeah. And that's like, that whole thing is like how Malfoy gets defeated. Um, mm-hmm. By, like, like that is kind of the end of Malfoy having any sort of superiority over Harry, because Harry has just like shown him up completely twice. And then, of course, they win the yeah. cup, the Quidditch Cup, and it's awesome because that's, it's supposed to be like Woods last year. And so that's played up as like Woods finally got the chance. He should have won it the last two years, because, but then Harry got screwed up. And it's, it's all played really well. Um, you're making a face. What's nowhere to be seen in this movie? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think he shows up briefly in Deathly Hallows Part 2. Really? I think there is... Because most of the time when I watch movies, I have subtitles mm-hmm. on. I swear there's a scene where there's like a bunch of kids on broomsticks like flying into the fight. Mm-hmm. And it, like Wood says, like, come on, or something huh. like that. That's, it's probably not even the same actor. Probably, it's probably Cedric Diggory's actor. It, <laughs> you mean the one from this one and not No, no, Robert no, Pattinson. I mean Robert Pattinson. <laughs> I do, why not Kristen Stewart <laughs> while we're at it? it? It's a prequel to Snow White and the Huntsman, really. Um, not to be confused with, uh, is it just the Huntsman? Yeah, sure. Whatever that sequel prequel thing was. Maleficent? <laughs> we're never watching those <laughs> movies, right? Oh, that's actually what we're doing next on the podcast, Alex. Um, we, we should just do all those crappy, like, fairy tale, like, gritty remakes or reboots. Well, people, we people actually do. like Maleficent. I threw that name out there, but I think people actually. We'll do those. We'll do uh, Hansel and Gretel sure. Witch Hunters yeah, 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 or whatever. Yeah. We'll just. Jack the Giant Slate. We'll yeah. just do all the crap. All the crap. It's going to be great. <laughs> We're retitling this podcast. <laughs> all the crap. Here comes all the crap. Uh, yeah. Um. Anyway, that was my point about Malfoy. It's the fact that, like, you've already taken out the two, like, most... Two of Harry's biggest triumphs over Malfoy up to this point, and kind of, like, what ends up being how he really, like, puts Malfoy down for good. Even though Malfoy continues to bother them, and, and, you know, Malfoy does a lot of, like, annoying stuff and is constantly giving reactions that make them angry and whatever. And, of course, he's talking... I feel like you could just lump that all, all in and have Snape handle yeah, a lot exactly, of that stuff. exactly. And so I feel As, like if you're... Like, that's the single point of frustration <laughs> in Harry's life when he's yeah. in school. Just have it be Snape. Yes. Just... If, if there was ever a case for cutting Malfoy out of these movies, it would be the fact that you don't even include those two scenes in this movie. Yeah. It's like, why even have him at that point? He, yeah. He, he does nothing. Yeah. And not to say that Tom Felton isn't a oh, good actor, because he he's is. He's probably one um, of the better ones of all the kid actors. Well, in, in Half-Blood Prince, that's one of the few redeeming things right. about that movie. I, I love his performance in that. Especially, like, when he's confronting Dumbledore, he's like, I have to kill you, and he's, like, freaking out. And it's very clear, like, oh, he's not going to go through yeah. with this. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Th- these movies are just such a weird thing where it's like... There are so many highs where it's like you got it just right, and then mm-hmm. there's just so much stuff squandered. It's it's very bizarre. It it really these are unadaptable in, in movie form and and feature length movie form, and I think yeah. you'd, you'd have to do more movies without without substantial changes. Yes, which isn't to say you can't make good movies. This is a good movie. I don't think we're denying that. Yeah. But I don't know that you can do it any other way. Like yeah. like I you, you got to do it many series. We're yep. we're gonna make it happen. <laughs> We're, we're gonna make it happen. The here comes right. the sequels cut of Harry Potter. You know, we're, we're already starting our, our uh, script right. That's correct. Our rewrites, and, you know. Um, we're taking Steve Clovis' scripts and we're throwing them in the fire and we're, we're restarting. 
the the fire will warm us as we write our new scripts in the summer when it's 90 degrees out <laughs> I'm talking all sorts of logic right now it's mm-hmm. fine I've got Palpy on my shoulder just whispering in my ear it's fine I was just waiting to see how long you'd keep talking <laughs> so what's our grades <laughs> let's let's okay. go ahead and grade nothing this else? thing and call nothing it a day not feeling it no, no. Oh, what else. really quick, really quick. Um, oh no, Michael Gambon. Gambon. I think it's just Gambon. How, Hambone. Um, <laughs> how do you feel? What's what? What's what's your thoughts? I like him better than uh, what's what's his name in the last one? Richard I feel Harris. Bad. Richard no. Harris. Yes. Um, Richard Harris has more of the um, like father figure right. side. Well, not even father figure. I mean, he is old, so it's yeah. like grandfather. That might be like too it, easy, but he's got, he's got that warm feeling to him, that comforting type of vibe. Um, whereas this one, Michael Gambon, I feel like he's more accurate to the book, um, particularly when we get to the later stuff, because mm-hmm. there's no way that That's what I was about Richard to Harris say. was going to do the action scenes. Like that that dueling scene between him and Voldemort at the end of Order of the Phoenix. Yeah. Richard Harris wouldn't have been able to do that. Yeah. So I mean, the... um, I don't know. I, I overall, and maybe this isn't fair because Richard Harris only got two movies. Michael Gambon is in the rest of the series. I prefer Michael. So Gambon. by the time the second, oh wait, sorry, I got the mixed up. Yes. Um... Uh. So the first movie was 2001. Yes. Yes. And the second one was 2002. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out when the the book Prisoner of Asking Man came out. Uh... Ah. Okay. Prisoner of Asking Man was out by that point. Um... Goblet of Fire came out... And Goblet of Fire was out by that point. I don't think Order of the Phoenix was. This is excellent, excellent podcasting right here. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm just letting you handle it because you know what you're doing. What is this book coming out? Okay. So, first four books were out by the, by the time they made the first movie. Okay. Roughly. Might have might have been in production when Goblet of Fire came out. Um, okay. I'm torn. Because I'm like, I'm trying to think of up to that point, does Richard Harris seem like a capable actor for the long run? I feel like it's a little bit short-sighted. Just because he is a lot more, a lot older, a lot more kind of, more of the wise aspect, the fatherly aspect. He doesn't really have a lot of the fire. That he, He has some excellent moments in those first two movies. Um... I don't know. I don't know if it quite works. It, it, I, I feel like you could have thought of this ahead of time. Not obviously the fact that he passed away, which I would hope they were not expecting that. Um, like obviously that's, that's well, awful. you know, it's weird. Apparently, he said on his deathbed to Chris Columbus, "Don't recast me." Okay. Well, good thing Chris Columbus didn't direct the next one, so it's not his problem. He didn't. Chris Columbus did not recast Dumbledore. You know? 
So, sorry, I got a little dark there for a second. It's, it's my, my my point is, Palpy said to do it, and I did it. It's fine. My point is that I feel like they could they should have gone younger, just anticipating the fact that there is more of Dumbledore being angry and powerful yeah. by that point, especially in the fifth one. The fifth one came out. I don't think they ever would have cast him because, like, if they were looking ahead to that book, like. Yeah. Dumbledore just straight up slaps the Ministry of Magic around in uh, like Harry's Harry's hearing and that sort of thing. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, like I said, the the final scene where he fights Voldemort, yep. Richard Harris wouldn't have been able to do yep. that. That would not have looked good. <laughs> so, but but yeah, I think overall I like Michael Gambon more. I think he's he's more suitable for the Dumbledore, at least in the later books. Mm-hmm. I think there's a little bit of the um, the flippancy, sort of the, not even the, the the facade of being a uh, what's the word, kind of like an out of touch old man. Yeah, there's a little bit of and the humor, I guess, is what I'm looking for specifically. Like that's a little lost in him. Yeah, um, he brings a lot of good emotion to it. I know there are a lot of people who don't like how just how angry he gets, and, like angry yeah. he acts. Um, in some of the later stuff, and I'll I'll kind of have to see how that plays out, but yeah, yeah, I don't have a problem with um, that. <laughs> uh, like I'm going to okay. Yo, uh, well, I, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and do my grade, and then you can say I, whatever I, I you want. I don't remember what I was gonna. There, I feel like there's one more thing, but I lost it. I'm gonna go B plus. Um, this movie is really good. I don't think it's quite a great. I'm also going to B+. Plus. I'm okay. I, I can't quite give that place... Um, I, I still haven't talked about my Alfonso Cuaron, uh, Matthew Vaughn nope. piece. Um, I talked about this a little bit, how just there's there's just weird continuity changes um, for the sake of it, just because Alfonso Cuaron wants a certain thing to look up, you know, this, this particular way. Um, and I, I relate to that to Matthew Vaughn because... X-Men First Class feels like a completely different universe. And it's not to the same extreme with, with this movie as it was with X-Men First Class, where it's just right. the designs are different. Um, it's a much more stylized version of the 60s, whereas like the modern X-Men movies are a lot more contemporary and they're, they're more realistic in that way. Um, and then Matthew Vaughn is just like, yeah... Mystique's uh, stepsister, uh, stepsister to Professor X or whatever. It's fine. Um, oh, Magneto, he got the helmet from Shaw, who got it from the Russians. Whatever, it's fine. Oh, Beast built Cerebro. It's fine. Like these little things where it's like, dude, make it a make it a complete reboot if you're, yeah. if you're doing it differently. Like that. And I get similar vibes, not not to the same degree. This does still feel like the there same also universe. weren't as many opportunities to do it. I would not put it past him to do the same thing if he yeah. were given the not the chance, but like if if he was put in the same position, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. But just like the fat lady's completely different, the location of the fat lady's painting is completely yeah. different. Uh, Hagrid's cabin has been moved. Uh, a lot of the outside areas of of Hogwarts just look completely different. For the better. But... Um, they, no, no, no. Most of this stuff is for the better. Mm-hmm. But at a certain point, you have to be like, continuity. Can you make it look like, similar while making it better? Yes. Yes. Or have a throwaway line of like, oh, every couple of years they move 
Hagrid's uh, cabin around the, the grounds or whatever, and we're just in a different area. Just something. Why is the Whomping Willow in a different location? Like, that drives me nuts. Yeah. <laughs> Things like that. And then also, the fact that they seem to be so focused on wearing their school uniforms like very prim and proper in the previous films, mm-hmm. and this one is just kind of like, because I think Quaron told them, like, just wear whatever. It's fine. Yeah. Like, your ties... And, and some of the actors didn't know how to tie ties. And if you look, like, they're they're not correctly mm. uh, put on ties. Which is delightful. Doesn't really match. Which is the nice. <laughs> but it does match with the first two. And I'm curious. I don't remember going forward if that's something that's kept up consistently. Or if they just go back to kind of like... I mean, sometimes they wear normal clothes. They do wear normal clothes a bit more uh, yeah. in this than the previous... Like, they do sometimes in the previous movies, but not... Yeah. Not as much. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. None of this stuff is a big deal. Um, but it's just distracting, especially when this, so much of this series is built about uh, on continuity and like we have a this this fully realized universe with all these characters that you recognize and like you're able to follow their stories. Keep it consistent. Because every time I see something like that, it takes me out of the movie. And thankfully, for the most part, I think after this one, really, in terms of the design elements, I don't think there's one, any real major changes This like one that. really updates the entire look. Just rips off the band-aid yeah. and is like, this is what we're doing now. Yeah, and I don't think it changes that much in terms of the design from here. So. It's almost like they should have gone Quaron in the first place, yeah. but of course he wasn't like a big-time director or had any real clout. And I mean, he didn't really have any clout yeah, going into this. It, it it's a precursor to the the Marvel Cinematic Universe where they just pluck yep. um, these directors out of obscurity. We're not going to talk about James Gunn, by the way. Um, that's a completely <laughs> different subject that'll lead into all sorts of different difficult topics that we don't need to discuss. But um, really, the thing about plucking a director with some talent from obscurity, I think it kind of starts here, at least for major franchises like this. I agree. All right, Pokemon. Oh, I was going to say, um, I, I remember. Thank you for agreeing with me, Tyler. Oh, I appreciate it when you agree with me. Um, <laughs> we gave this movie the same grade. <laughs> I, I was going to say real quick. That would be amusing if from now on the rest of the movies are the exact same grade. Probably. Um, the only series where we've been able to keep the same exact grades was was Rocky. Yep. I think I think we were the same exact the whole way yep. through. Consistent movies, sort of. Uh, I was going to say. <laughs> That it's interesting that this movie also plays up Harry and Herm- er, Harry and Hermione, Hermione and Ron, because yeah. only the fourth book had come out at, uh, at that point. Yeah, which has some of that. It has Ron sort of secretly having a crush on Hermione that's never really ex- put out in the open, but it's like, oh, he's actually really jealous of Victor Crumb. Um, but do they awkwardly start talking about how Hermione and Ginny have nice skin? No. This is a scene in the Half Blood Prince movie. <laughs> I'm aware. Um, I hate that movie. <laughs> but it's just it's it's interesting that they he already started setting that up. I don't know if he talked to Rowling or if because it's visually mostly it's like they they grab hands a little bit and there's yeah. there's like one other moment in the movie that I can't remember. But like there's a couple of moments where it's like oh they're they're setting that up. Another just random visual thing to kind of leave leave on as for. To, since I feel like we've been kind of down in the weeds talking, nitpicking it for a little while. 
leave on a great note as far as some of the, the things that I wanted from the last two that were not in there. Um, this one has a great bit where it's just a scene of Harry, Neville, Ron, Seamus, and Dean all sitting in their dorm room eating weird candy. Ron's got this yep. weird beanie on. Ron, he, he, steam comes out of his ears and like you, can, you, you got the gorgeous grounds outside. And they're all just yeah. hanging around being boys. They're being, being 14, 13-year-old boys. And they're just eating some candy and having a good time. And like it, just that scene goes so far in establishing these guys are friends. They have lives outside of stopping Voldemort and or getting uh, yelled at by Snape. Like they, the, the, the castle is alive. They are not the only people in the castle. The castle is not there to service their storylines, which is something that comes yeah. through a lot more in the book than in the movies. And I, I, I really like, there are a couple scenes like that, that that just go such a long way in bringing the, giving some heart to this movie. And uh, I really appreciate that. That's all I got. Is it sad that I immediately want to go back to nitpicking? Yes. You can find us online at herecomethesequels.blogspot.com. You can find us at uh, email at herecomethesequels at gmail.com. You can find us through Twitter at HCTSequels. And we are also on YouTube and iTunes if you just give us a search there for Here Come the Sequels. I feel like this happens when when there's like a very well-renowned movie that gets just heaps of praise. And it's like, oh, this is the best of the series. And and we spend a good amount of time talking about the negatives. Mm -hmm. Um, Just to kind of counterbalance that, I guess. Even though, like, we gave this movie pretty good reviews. So, yeah. I don't know. Yep. Um, I did want to mention, I mentioned this last podcast, too. Uh, it's interesting to, <clears throat> to me that this is the... <sighs> generally praised as both the best movie and the best book. You'll see that a lot if you look up, like, oh, favorite list of Harry Potter books. Um, it's not the best book. I don't think it is. and But a lot of people rank at that and I really think that both this and Chamber of Secrets get really inflated I love Chamber of Secrets I think the mystery in that is great it's straightforward it's clean um, I could go on for days about the structure of of the Harry Potter books and why I think the the slow drip of exposition and information about this world and world building is just fantastic um, but I don't know I just think that it does a really good like the the second book, I think I, it does a really good job of setting up a story. It's obviously not like as as full blown massive saga as some of the later books get, but it's it's just this really well told story, and I really like it. And I don't know. So anyway, I, what, what the reason I bring this up is that I wanted to get what you're obviously. So your your movie rankings right now would be three at the top, then. I would be three, two, one. Two, yeah, th- okay, three, two, one. Yeah, so there you go. I would be, and yours is three, one, two, three, one, two, which is interesting because I think because I was going to go ahead and say I think my book rankings would be probably it might even be four, two, three, one right now as far as the books that I've finished and rereading. I'm trying to like keep them in my head. Yeah, I don't know. It's super difficult for me to rank books. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, just because. I, I guess it's just because I read books more passively. Like, you, films, obviously, I, I, I watch with a very right. sharp eye. Well, for for particular elements, mm-hmm. at least. But, um, like, books, I, I don't know. I have a hard time ranking stuff. Particularly if it's in a series and I'm doing it all yep. in one go. Because then I'm just like, 
it all kind of bleeds through to me. Like that's that's one of my problems when I'm watching a TV show. Sometimes I don't realize if a show is getting bad just because I'm just like, oh, it's just more of the same, yeah. and I'm just kind of passively watching it. Um, sometimes it takes like an outside opinion to really lend me some perspective for for that kind of thing, and even sometimes with movies too. So what I'm saying is, my opinions are not my own. Fair. Um, I steal from everyone. Uh, Tyler has written the notes for everything I have said for Correct. every single episode of this podcast. He is a puppet. Um, he is clay. I am in my a hands. puppet. Uh, um, <laughs> I just am doing a voice the entire episode. I'm uh, just two two voices. But the question is, which is the real voice? Am I actually Tyler's, Alex or am I actually Tyler? All I can say is Tyler is starting with the man in the That's mirror. That's correct. That's all I'm saying. Uh, yeah. Any final thoughts? Or are we? I know you, you were talking about book rankings and then I kind of derailed you. Oh, I was going to ask you what your book rankings were after you told me that uh, you, you had a hard time ranking books. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I can't do it. Yeah, I don't know. Which is, it's another thing is that none of the books are bad. Um they're all extremely well done pieces of of excellent character Six. and story. If I remember correctly, Half-Blood Prince is one of the best and it just infuriates me that yeah. it, they botched it so horribly. I'll be curious to see if I'm so angry at the adaptation that I give it an undeserved F minus. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to see how that goes. It's too well made. I, I know, that. that's that's kind of what I'm I'm assuming, but well, we'll see. Um there's not points where I'm questioning what's sure, happening. Sure. It's just there's not... It doesn't focus on the right things. Yeah. That's that's literally the problem. Yeah. Um, it's not It's not like any film that we've discussed that we've given a bad yeah. review to where it's just like, half the time I don't even know what's happening. It's not that level. Like, I, where my head is sitting at right now is a C- minus for yeah. Half-Blood Prince. That's where my brain is sitting. I'm, uh, I'm sitting at F minus. So. <laughs> I, right. I haven't seen it in so long. I have no idea. There's nowhere to go but That's up. Correct. That's what you're trying to get at. So I feel like you're gonna watch it and be like F plus. <laughs> it's very possible. Alan. <laughs> D ampersand. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. We'll see you guys next time for Goblet of Fire. Artist subjective. Nothing is real. Have a wonderful night. <laughs>